Hello everyone and welcome back to Community Conversations with NAXA, the National Association of Charter School Authorizers. We hope you enjoyed October's episode live from NAXACON 2023 in Oakland, California. But if you weren't able to join us for the live session, make sure you hit that subscribe button to hear the recorded version in just a few weeks. This week's host is NAX's Director of Strategic Partnerships, Jason Zwara. Jason leads partnership development and relationship building with organizations within and beyond the charter school sector, including raising NAX's profile as a key thought leader in the education space. Jason also leads NAX's federal policy and partnership work, advocating for strong authorizing policies at the national level. He also contributes to NAXA's state-level policy and advocacy efforts. Prior to NAXA, Jason worked for a regional charter school advocacy organization tracking state legislation and regulations and assisting charter schools with legal and policy issues. He has also served on and advised charter school boards on governance, compliance, and financial issues. Jason will be joined by special guests Joseph Escobedo, Director of Charter Schools, at Albuquerque Public Schools, and David Frank, the Assistant Commissioner for the Office of Education Policy at the New York State Education Department. The group will discuss the importance of applying the principles of authorizing across education. Let's listen. Hi, Joseph. Hi, David. Thank you so much for joining me today. Joseph, can you tell us uh, a little bit about yourself and the work that you do at Albuquerque Public Schools? Yeah, good Good to see you all, and thanks for having me. Um, so my name is Joseph Escobedo with uh, Albuquerque Public Schools, and we have a portfolio of 30 charter schools that's set in the midst of a really large public uh, school landscape. We have another uh, 25 charter schools that are authorized by the state in our area, and then another about 150 uh, traditional schools. Uh, so working as a district authorizer for decades, it's very interesting to use your skills and your relationships um, in the work on sometimes a very contentious topic of, you know, not only holding schools accountable as charter schools, but also uh, providing support. David, can you tell us a little bit about your work and your experience at uh, New York State Education Department? Sure. Well, thank you for having me on the podcast today. I'm the Assistant Commissioner for the Office of Education Policy. And under that, uh, those responsibilities, I work with a variety of non-district schools to ensure that all students have the opportunities to thrive, including our charter schools. I used to lead our charter school office where we authorize 97 Board of Regents authorized charter schools, and we have oversight responsibilities for all almost 350 charter schools across the state of New York, regardless of authorizer. Part of the role that I'm undertaking now, really, and my vision is to bring the autonomy and accountability work that we do in the charter school world to a broader context so that we can ensure that schools are thinking deeply about teaching and learning and equity and bring some of the successes we see in the charter school space into other domains of education. Great. Thank you so much. And thank you both so much for for joining us on the podcast today. Um, So we've talked a little bit about the importance of of stakeholders who are responsible for for ensuring school quality, for those stakeholders to collaborate and learn from one another to develop more effective approaches to community-responsive schooling. Um, 
David, we'll start with you. Can you talk a little bit more about why authorizers are uniquely positioned to lead in this space? Authorizers think deeply about equity and access, academic outcomes, and ways that we can go about measuring those constructs, both through traditional as well as non-traditional measures. And the proximity of authorizers to thinking about those, those intractable educational problems of practice make them uniquely qualified to have a seat at the table regardless of the type of school that we're looking to support and evaluate. So whether those are charter schools, district schools, magnet schools, non-public schools, even our homeschool communities, this is work that authorizers do each and every day and which they can they can bring their expertise to the table. And I really do encourage authorizers to think deeply about where they're situated in the their own organizational structure, and not to be shy to bring that expertise to the table and be part of that larger educational conversation. Not only does it ensure that their work remains central to their organizational function, but it also builds into the original ideals of the charter sector back in the early 90s, early to mid 90s, where charter schools and the charter sector were seen as drivers of educational change and reform. Uh, across the educational space. I think, um, you know, in addition to what David said, I think we have to think about what authorizers do on a regular basis is just really listen and listen with like really trying to understand the meaning of what the school's trying to do, what their mission's going to be. And so I think when you think about like, you know, we want community responsive schools. And I think we collectively struggle at how do we make sure to get the stakeholders voice? But I think we don't think enough about how does the institutions and the humans, us as authorizers, um, are receiving that information. And I think, um, you know, a lot of times that we see in, you know, traditional settings is, you know, it's Title I Parent Engagement Night. We got to do them twice a year per federal mandate. And, uh, you know, we got to do these things. And so, you know, schools will go out and they'll engage the families. And it's a show instead of really listening to see, hey, what are the positive things that's going on? What are the negative things? And I think authorizers have really innately kind of just developed skills to listen to, you know, how do you even set aside sometimes the political noise? Um, and how sometimes do you set aside um, some of the other noise that you're hearing, but try to filter in and really understand uh, what the school is doing. So I think that's why we're uniquely, in addition to all those traits that David said, you know, listening, being a good listener, and really trying to apply that to uh, to the work, I think, is why authorizers, in addition, are are uniquely able to help with community responsive schooling. Joseph, uh, you know, we at NAXA certainly know the important and innovative work that that you've been doing at Albuquerque Public Schools and, and really what what the way you've talked about it and the way you've talked about the the work you've been able to do with the district at large has has been a big driving factor in NAXA think really thinking about this opportunity for authorizers to collaborate. Um, can you describe for the listeners um how your office has collaborated with the the larger Albuquerque Public Schools office? Yeah, and I think it's interesting when you think about like what are 
roles are commonly in authorizing and charter schools. Just had a board meeting last night where we took a, you know a, a school expansion to the to the board, and that was a, that was a rough you know conversation um, versus you know taking renewals to the board and how are you making sure that everybody understands the work that you're doing. But when you tear apart the pieces, I think one of the things that we've been able to be successful is to show the similarities of the process of school accountability that we follow through Nexed. So for example, having a solid performance framework. It was only a year after I went and presented to the board and showed them our performance framework and how we used it for not only accountability, but also support, that we were able to sit down um, with our chief academic officer at the time and sit down and look at, you know, how could this really be designed for every school in the district? And so the district took the performance framework and removed the accountability part of it and said, we're going to use it for identifying additional support. Um, I think you see that um, also with school turnaround. We've been able to really work with a lot of our schools on school improvement. So we're sitting at the table now that we have schools that are identified by the state, and we have to identify, you know, what are those ways that we're going to support them. We've been to sit at the table to say, hey, we've tried this before. We weren't the state, but we were the charter school authorizer to go into some of these schools and say, your proficiency uh, you know, isn't good enough. You've been open for 20 years. Now we're going to give you five years to turn around. And so we were able to share our learning experiences. And I think finally, one of the things that I, I'm most excited about is we're also pushing some of our work that we're learning in the in the district to the charters. So for example, our board is taking on a new governance model of student outcomes focused governance. And really, we've, we took a huge step to to engage our charter schools, not only the leaders, but their governing councils to start the, to have them start seeing the positive results that our board is seeing by really being focused on student outcomes. And I think, so, you know, crossing that street and having information flow both ways, I think has been really um, exciting for our community. But I think it, you know, it just comes down to relationships and not being afraid as an authorizer, particularly district authorizer, to Lay your lay your role on the table and say, hey, here's our experience as charters. You know, maybe as a district, you don't want to hear it, but here's what our journey has been and here's what we've learned. And maybe there's some nuggets that they can take for um, improvement in learning. David, so your current role at, with New York State Education Department has you overseen a, a broad range of many different initiatives and programs across the state. But you, you, you come from a long experience in the charter sector and with the charter school office at the State Education Department. How's your experience as an authorizer position you to think differently and maybe apply some of those principles and experiences in, in new and different spaces? First and foremost, autonomy and accountability is not a monopoly in the charter school sector. Autonomy and accountability drive much of the educational work that, that happens in, in many different types of schools. And we see when, when you sit down and speak with district school leaders or non-public school leaders, what they really want is embodied in the charter school sector, the ability to be able to create your own destiny, to have the tools and resources to ensure that your educational program is deeply rooted in the culture and climate of the students that you serve and 
to have that autonomy to enact the program to serve their needs and then to be held accountable for for results because at, at the end of the day, our educators are professionals. And I couldn't have said it better than than what Joseph just said. The work happening in charter school offices across the country is an innovative learning lab for educational governance in many different types of settings. And so when you look at the work happening in authorizing shops around community authorizing difficult conversations with schools to improve the levers of change needed to better serve students. Authorizers are at the forefront of doing this work and we're everyone else is, is catching up. And so part of my job is to take those lessons learned, to take the conversations that we have at places like the NAXA conference that we just we just gathered together in, in Oakland to, to meet and discuss some of these issues, and then bring it to the larger work of the department here at the state education, uh, our state education agency in New York. Whether those are conversations around how we can support a diverse workforce in authorizing, ensuring that the individuals who are charged with overseeing educational accountability have a firm rooting in the milieu and culture of our educational spaces, or how we instill community-based practices in our educational work, support students' social-emotional needs, that's all work that I'm really proud to have been part of and, and leading when I was in the charter school office. And now it's work that I'm really proud to bring from our charter school space into that larger uh, discourse. So as we've kind of started this initiative and, and done a lot more work in this area of, of you know, the opportunities for authorizing principals to, to translate beyond the authorizing sector, we kind of tried to frame this in the idea that there's a lot of challenges facing public education that are impacting, you know, both the traditional district-based sector, but are also impacting the charter school sector, that there's a lot of shared challenges that, that you know, we can all benefit from collaborating together. Where do you see authorizing principals having the, the greatest potential impact and maybe authorizers having the greatest opportunity to contribute? Sure. Yeah, I, I would say... Ensuring that communities and students that don't have a voice and, and enabling them and facilitate or facilitating them having that voice in their own education and the education of their students is work that's happening in the charter school space, whether it's Dr. Lisa Long, who leads our charter office here at, in New York, or Joseph in Albuquerque. To me, that's the number one thing that we can bring to a larger educational conversation is, is the ability for students and parents to have their own self-determination and to ensure that we're not making educational decisions for them, but we're making educational decisions with them. And then holding them accountable to meaningful results that adhere to what we know are best practices in preparing students for college, career, and beyond, but also upholding the culturally responsive practices that we know are, are effective ways to engage students in a 21st century 
educational environment. Yeah, and I would just add, I think um, using the tenets of, uh, you know, the design process of looking at how did the schools uh, that are new applications coming on board to really show us innovation. So really applying that to other areas of uh, work across the school district. So our, unless it's adding a magnet school, adding another school, or even looking at adding another program. You know, I think a, a lot of times in public education, you know, most times we're looking for a silver bullet, uh, but you know, even more so, we really struggle at how do we assess and analyze if something's working. And I think if you look at like the performance framework and, you know, even applying that to like a reading curriculum. So what are the data saying over time? So we've had this program for five years. Is it working? You know, what's the return on investment? Is it financially viable? So if you take some of the tenants that we do for a school and even apply it to a program, you know, um, and so like one of the things that we're doing is applying some of those things to looking at how we've used our ESSER funds, you know, $350 million over several years of a school district. Not only did the data show, but is is the proof in the performance showing that that investment should continue? Joseph, you touched on this a little bit previously, but, you know, public education at large has has evolved significantly over, you know, charter schools and charter school authors has around for for over 30 years. Um, and you talked about the importance that this is this is a collaboration, this is a conversation, this isn't a one way, a one way dialogue. Um, where do you think there's opportunities for the charter school sector and for charter school authorizers to to listen and to to pay closer attention to to our colleagues in other sectors? Yeah, I think first and foremost is the design process and understanding that um, if we want to be innovative, if we want to be the uh, test cases, if we want autonomy for accountability or vice versa, I think we really have to understand that it's okay to fail and it's okay to admit where we struggled, to admit it's okay to say, hey, this school was a proposed great idea. It didn't work out because of X, Y, and Z. And I think, um, so I think taking that business-minded design process and really not being afraid of failure, adding on to that, I think, um, you know, I think the biggest thing also is figuring out how to share best practices and how do you overcome sometimes the school district or the state institution or the state department or even private and parochial schools who have institutional arrogance, who don't want to hear, hey, the turnaround worked in this school in this environment because it followed the principles of turnaround. There was accountability from us uh, and that they changed leaders correctly, you know, quickly and swiftly uh, versus, you know, trying to just stick with it and say, well, we gave them another opportunity, you know, and, you know, we're just not sure. It's okay to say, hey, it worked here and it didn't work here and we want to grow. And I think, you know, I think about all those folks who are flying into space, who, you know, all the techies. And so they've had rockets blow up. And what do they say immediately? Ah, the next one's going to be better. We're going to be back at it. We're going to do it. And they even admit, hey, the rocket failed because of X, Y, and Z. And that's okay. I think we need to be okay with that and uh, not pretend everything is just always okay. Yeah, I, I would just add, and I wholeheartedly agree, it's finding that space, that safe space to share effective practices is it, so vital to to moving the, the needle forward and to bringing people together who normally don't 
see eye to eye. We hear all the time from our charter schools that they want to, sh- to share effective practices, but the district isn't interested or uh, the, they don't have a partner at the table. And creating that space is hard work, but there are allies in that space, people like myself, like Joseph, who do sit in a larger organization that can help facilitate these conversations. And really, we owe it to our kids to keep trying and and to keep moving the needle in terms of sharing what works, being upfront about what doesn't, and looking for solutions to best serve students, particularly charter schools by and large, certainly here in New York State, are serving the most vulnerable populations across the country. And, And this is hard work and work that I know we all believe cannot be done in a silo or be done alone. Yeah, I want to follow up and, and, and dig a little deeper on on something you both touched on. Um, and, and it's kind of regarding the the either the political challenges or the the relational challenges of of some of these collaborations. So, you know, either from your own experience or or just, you know, being in the sector and working across some of these lines in other capacities, you know, where do you where do you think authorizers can start from in 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 building trust and building these relationships to to build collaboration. In now working across multiple uh, educational uh, milieus, so uh, with charter schools, district schools, non-public schools, um, everyone has political issues. Everyone has stakeholder groups that uh, are looking for change and and are perhaps not allies in this work and making sure that we keep focused on students because that's what we're all here to do. Create better opportunities for students is important, but finding allies where they're least expected and showing up to conversations. So reaching out to the district school down the street or the non-public school and talking about your shared problems of practice being generous and open with lessons learned, but also being willing to listen and to hear concerns and and trying to come to amicable solutions. I also believe that there's a lot of room for charters and for district schools to support the other in terms of students who might not fit in a traditional educational setting or might be better served in a school that serves a niche population or has a specific uh, a, a specific charge. So here in New York, we authorize, we're, we're really proud of the fact that we authorize many alternative education campuses, predominantly schools that serve overage undercredited students. And they've been doing a lot of work with district schools to talk about the services they offer, how they can collaborate to to better serve students that might be in a district school setting, but might be better off in in a smaller school environment, or some of our schools now are creating career and technical education opportunities that don't exist in district spaces. And and just to be upfront about the services that you can provide um, and having those conversations. We also think that districts and charter school boards can play a more prominent role in facilitating conversations with elected officials uh, by and crossing bridges. And so uh, when charter school authorizers are sitting down with boards, 
they might want to think about critical questions for the board to discuss how they're advancing the goals and ideals of the authorizer. Are they, as part of their outreach and engagement, inviting elected officials in? Are they supporting school leadership and management to achieve these aims? And and on the district side as well, we're always pushing our district boards to think deeply about collaboration and cross-pollination of ideas. I think just to add on to that, um, it's so easy to you know, fear the politics or to see a hat with certain, you know, color with writing or, you know, to see a certain flag or a certain, you know, bumper sticker and say, oh, that person is this because of X, Y, and Z. And I think what's really fun with our work is to really go, okay, yeah, maybe that's the human surface level. But when you break it down, like our work, it doesn't matter what the political flavor, our work is about student outcomes. And I think that's what, you know, has been very interesting to me to see our board, a very divided board, politically, if you will, really coalesce around student outcomes. So they set, you know, five-year goals for the district um, that they're being very serious and having progress monitoring every 30 days um, on our goals. And I think it really has helped to improve the culture and to really look at, you know, what is important. But when you're focused on student outcomes, nobody, you know, everyone quickly forgets the politics behind it. So what what is that person's flavor when they're saying, hey, your reading score isn't good enough? Well, it really doesn't matter, right? I saw it last night with our, you know, some people ask me, so, you know, is the board pro-charter, the board, the board against? The board is pro-quality schools. And so that removes the politics of it. So, you know, demonstrating through our authorizing work, they met the goals, they did meet the goals, they have their goals set for the next five years that meet the districts that exceed them, that the politics of charters, whether they're good or bad, go away. And I think uh, that's been kind of exciting for me to see, especially at this time in our country where we're divided on everything. It just it gets overwhelming. And so when you think about like, hey, our work's about student outcomes and quality schools, everything kind of goes away from there. Yeah, that's. I think that's one of the things we've we've learned is uh, from Nax's perspective as we've we've dug into this work is is starting from these shared challenges and and, and shared um, um, principles goes a long way. And in, in, in the work we've done so far in this project of, of learning from, from districts and states, and even at the school level, starting from a shared, uh, a shared challenge and a shared perspective can go a long way to, to overcoming a lot of those barriers and hurdles. Well, I just want to thank you both so much for joining me for today. It was really great having you both on the podcast and we look forward to continuing to work with, you both in your offices and, and partner, great partners across the country to continue advancing this work. Thank you. Thank you, Jason.